Good morning, good morning, good morning. Uh, today we're going to talk about Bobby Brown. This morning I was uh, I turned on my phone and I saw that Bobby Brown appeared on the Red Table Talks. And uh, you guys know I'm not going to talk about it in the way that everybody else talks about it. I'm not going to talk about the gossipy stuff. I'm going to talk about wealth. Uh, Bobby Brown and Whitney Houston and all the money they ran through and all the uh, the financial implications of choices and how that all plays out for you. So we're going to break all this down for you right now. So buckle up seatbelt, get get comfortable, hit the thumbs up button. We're going to get started on drboystv.com right now. Here we are, clan the isms, cataclysm, great. Our people out here struggling, trying to make it in this state. Everybody out here doing it, but we the ones who late. Now, family, we the ones who gotta delegate. Get that money in the power, never be fake. Stick to co-sign for three. What did he say? Uh, create jobs, support our own. Educate the same and buy back your home. Got three degrees, triple ten. Three PhDs, now we on the CNN. DBTV, let's talk about negligence. Ignorance is bliss, but we can turn into intelligence. Please, none of what you hear, half of what you see. Let's break it down here on Dr. Voice TV. Good morning. Welcome to DrVoiceTV.com, the home for intelligent black people. Uh, I hope you guys are ready for an intelligent conversation. I want to start off the conversation by also saying that if you are not black, uh, then you may not be comfortable here because we are black first here. It doesn't mean we hate anybody else. It just means that we love ourselves. Also, uh, if you don't want to be intelligent, then you should probably go somewhere else because my goal is not simply to regurgitate the ridiculous talking points that we see in mainstream media. My goal is to challenge your thinking and to get you to kind of see the world in a different way. So uh, if you agree that black people should come first, if you agree that our community matters the most, then put a hashtag B1, hashtag B, and then the number one in the chat. Hashtag B1 is our calling card. That means that you are black first. Uh, that means that you're black before you're gay or straight. You're black before you're male or female. You're black before you're rich or poor. You're black before you're a Democrat or a Republican. Can we agree on that? If we agree on that, put a hashtag B1 in the chat and uh, let me know that you value your community. Now let's talk about Bobby Brown and Whitney Houston. I was watching um, the Red Table Talk with Jada Pinkett Smith, which is a good show. Jada Pinkett Smith is a smart lady and Will Smith is a smart guy. And I don't know Jada, never met Jada. Um, I was almost on the red table talk, but uh, I didn't. It didn't work out because they wanted to bring me and Ice Cube on uh, a few months ago, and uh, and I could not do the interview. I did the interview, and I, I just got some of my dental stuff done. You guys know about the six months I've been spending really trying to work on my dental health and other types of health, just trying to be healthy. It's not, I'm not sick or anything. I don't, I'm not want to be reactive. I want to be proactive. And, um, and so that day it was like maybe a few days after I got in the surgery and my lip was swollen. I'm spitting everywhere. Cause I can't get used to, uh, I, things are still messed up. And so it didn't work out. So, um, I was going to be on the red table talk, but it didn't work out. They found somebody better. I think Van Jones or somebody they, they found to th throw in there and that's fine. I don't care. I, that's whatever. Uh, but also, um, I never met Jada, but I do, know Harry Smith, Will Smith's brother. Uh, Harry and I, uh, we I, he's just like, I mean, this brother's super smart. And I know about, I, I, I could talk, I talked to him for hours and hours and hours. And, and I got this sense that th there's a reason why their family is so successful. Uh, they're successful because they're just smart. They're just smart people. Harry looks just like Will and, he, and they're, they're super sharp and he knows a lot about finance. So we talked about finances and all that. It was a great conversation. And so anyway, with that said, um, I think the Red Table Talk is a good show. I, I really do. I think that it's great, especially for women, but it's good for everybody. And I see what Jada's trying to do. And uh, and that's that's what that is. Now, um, in terms of the, this uh, conversation I saw today, uh, give me a yes or no in the chat if you saw any of it. Uh, but she was talking to Bobby Brown today. And uh, let me know how many of you also might have seen it or seen highlights of it or whatever you know the case may be. It just kind of popped up on my phone. And uh, that's you know what led me to watch it. some of it. I watched half of it with Alicia. And, uh, and some things jumped out. My spidey senses started to activate. And I said, you know what? I want to go in and talk to my people so they can get the for real, for real conversation about what I'm seeing. You know, I, and again, I'm OG status, uh, meaning that I saw Bobby Brown. And I saw Whitney Houston when they were like 20 years old. I saw Bobby Brown and I saw Whitney Houston when they were the hottest singers in the music industry. Um, I saw Bobby Brown. I saw Whitney Houston when they were on in the midst of their slow decline, where the world was slowly learning uh, what was really going on. 
right? If anybody else remember that? Anybody else remember when it seemed when you're just watching, you know, you, you thought everything was fine. You thought they were this power couple. And then you start seeing Whitney kind of engaged in some weird behavior. And then you think it's Bobby. But then some people say, no, it's actually Whitney who's driving all this. You don't know. You don't know. Next thing you know, people are dead and bad things are happening. And it's terrible. You know, um, I mean, when I look at Bobby Brown, the lives of Bobby Brown and Whitney Houston, because you can't talk about one without the other. It's like talking about Michael Jordan without discussing Scottie Pippen. You can't do it. Right. You can't do it. Right. So so Bobby and Whitney, Bobby Brown and Whitney Houston were the Michael Jordan and the Scottie Pippen of the music industry, except they were one was male, one was female. And they had a beautiful relationship and they were both extremely talented. Um, and uh, again, I, I never met Whitney and never met Bobby. Um, I do know a couple members of New Edition. I met Michael Bivens, um, who uh, actually, ironically, is, according to what I've done, what I've seen in my research, he's the wealthiest member of New Edition. I don't know if any of y'all know that. I should have did that as a trivia question. How many of y'all knew that? Give me a yes or no. How many of y'all knew that Michael Bivens actually is the wealthiest member of New Edition, at least according to you know sites like Celebrity Net Worth and some others? Uh, uh, give me a yes or no if you knew that. And um, And let me just tell you this. Michael Bivens, um, when uh, when I met Michael Bivens, uh, I met him. Uh, he was on my show, actually, a few years ago when I did some stuff with AOL Black Voices. This is way back in the day. And let me just tell you, I remember noticing and this is important. This links to Bobby Brown, the Bobby Brown interview. Um, there was something about him that where you can just tell there's certain people where you can tell that they're going to be successful. You ever have that friend that's just smart, that just knows their way around everything, knows how to make good choices and all that? And there's a picture. Um, uh, Michael Bivens is the guy um, right here on the far left, I think. I hope I got that right because I don't. I, I know New Edition. I kind of – yeah, so anyway, Michael Bivens – uh, he's, he's kind of one of the alphas of the group. He, he's not the most, I'm gonna lie. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna keep it 100. I don't, I don't consider him to be the most talented. The most talented members of the group in my view were Ralph Transvant, Johnny Gill and Bobby Brown. Those are kind of the three alphas in terms of talent, but he was an alpha in terms of, uh, in my view, business sense, business knowledge, um, innovation. Uh, and, and one thing he did that was really fascinating was he created this group called Bill Biv DeVoe. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I, those of you who are in my age bracket, you already know a lot of this, right? You, you, you know, I'm, I'm explaining this to the young kids who were born like after the year, you know, 1995, who don't remember any of this. But they created Bell Bib DeVoe, and they took the three guys, like these. This guy went solo, Ralph Tresvant, uh, Johnny Gill went solo, and Bobby Brown went solo. But neither one of these, none of these Negroes could go solo. Like nobody would ever consider buying an album from one of these three guys, even though, you know, they were all talented. So what Michael Bivens and, and the rest of the brothers did was they said, OK, uh, there, there's an old African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So what he realized, which was to me, I thought quite intelligent, was he said, if we come together and we create something that's flashy and cool, and, uh, and we bring our collective talents together, we can create a group that's as good as any of these individuals co- you know, could, could do on their own. And they did. Bell Bib DeVoe, um, you know, as a group, could stand toe-to-toe with Johnny Gill as a, as a solo artist. They could stand toe-to-toe with Bobby Brown as a solo artist. They could stand toe-to-toe with Ralph Tresvant as a, as a solo artist. Maybe not quite the same. Maybe one's better than the other. I'm not here to nitpick all that. What I'm here to say, though, is that that is uh, what you call business innovation? That's the same. That's the same thinking that led Ice Cube, in my view. In my view, uh, I, I can't speak for him, uh, but that's the same thing that, in my view, led Ice Cube to say we can create the Big Three League and we can go get all these players that people know about because they're brands. It's not about the talent; it's about the brand, right? They they understood branding, so it doesn't matter if you're the best player in the world. There are plenty of great basketball players you never you never heard of who can't sell a ticket it's the brand right so so basically ice cube pulled together all these brands and created this league with all these guys that people still wanted to see because they could sell a ticket well the same thing is true bill bib devote they built a brand and uh and i love it it makes it it actually is extremely impressive and uh actually one of the guys from bill bib devote is actually in the black business school um the tall one uh ronnie i think that's his name yeah very nice guy very smart guy and uh also the other interesting point on that is that Ronnie's very interested in wealth. And if you recall, if you remember back, and I promise you, I'm going to get back to Bobby Brown, the Red Table Talk. I'm literally giving you a stream of consciousness. So I hope you can bear with me as I kind of break this down. But, um, but the, the, you know, it, it kind of speaks to uh, the fact that when you talk about the music industry, the people that tend to do well tend to be the people that just 
kind of figure things out on a business on the business side. Uh, you know, somebody asked me, they said something like they said, Dr. Boyce, how do artists make money from streaming? Uh, you know, given that streaming has kind of taken over the music industry. And he said, well, how do the artists make money from streaming? I said, they don't. The artists don't make money from streaming. The, the labels make money from streaming. The, the tech companies, Apple makes money from streaming, not not you. You you're just the help. You're just you're just the talent. You know, so so where, where am I going with this? Uh, do me a favor. Hit the thumbs up button, hit the share button, hit the subscribe button. So let's get back to Bobby Brown. So Bobby Brown arguably was uh, one of the most if you if you mix talent with brand. I'm not gonna say he was the most talented because I, I personally thought Johnny Gill was the most talented. Ralph Chesvent was great, but but Bobby Brown was talented, but he also had a great brand. So Bobby Brown breaks off from the group. He's the bad boy. He's running around, and I guess you know there, there's still this weird thing. You know, young girls in their 20s they love the bad boy, even though I'm just you know again Uncle Boy's talking here, ladies. The bad boy is the one who's gonna beat your ass. The bad boy is the one who's going to cheat on you <laughs> a lot of times. <clears throat> the bad boy is the one who's going to lead you through all kinds of trauma and then have you go into nice guys after you finish spending years getting pregnant with the bad boys, right? So, uh, so and I can say this to the nice guys, like, you know, at that point, you get to decide if you're going to just forget everything that's happened over the last 10 years or you're going to go go ahead and take her in. I don't know. It's up to you. But I personally think that there are consequences to choices. That's my point. And uh, and I think that what we have to really kind of think about is uh, as a community, are we are how far are we going to go when it comes to just acting like our choices were made by somebody else? Right. How far are we going to go when it comes to simply finding a convenient excuse that makes you feel OK with making bad choices, whether you're talking about who you choose to you know, form a relationship with or, or what you choose to do with your money or what you choose when, you know, do when it comes to drugs? So when you talk about Bobby Brown and I saw him on the, the Red Table talk, I was happy to see that he looked relatively healthy. They they really shaped up his brand. Again, it's all about branding, right? So they shaped him up, got him ready to kind of, you know, reinvent himself as this older, more mature, more intelligent guy. And I, I don't doubt that he is. I don't, uh, you know, but what's interesting is that when I'm watching this Red Table talk and I'm, I'm real curious to hear about how they reflect on the tragedies of Whitney Houston's life, Bobby Christina. Um, uh, Nick Gordon, Bobby Christina's boyfriend, uh, etc. Uh, and, and here's what's interesting. I, and just in case you don't know, here's the rundown. So Whitney Houston dies from drugs, a drug overdose. Didn't surprise anybody because Whitney had been, you know, the, the public by that time kind of knew Whitney had some struggles. Uh, she was kind of in that, unfortunately, had gone in, in that same direction that DMX's life had gone. Um, and again, um, not, not to ridicule anybody, but that's what it is. We know what drugs do to the black community. We know what drugs have done to many of your families. Uh, we, I, I don't understand for, <clears throat> for the life of me why we as a community <clears throat> on any level tolerate the fact that we still got rappers out here promoting drug use when we know what drugs do. You know, how many of you, give me a yes or no, how many of you have, have seen drugs up close in your family? How many of you have had uh, yourselves or a loved one, uh, you know, die from drugs, get locked up over drugs? or do something crazy over drugs, hurt somebody uh, over some dope or whatever. How many of you have seen this up close? Um, I can just say that um, that's been all over my family. Uh, my, my father came back from Vietnam with a heroin addiction. My biological father, when I say my father, that's my stepfather who raised me. My biological father went to prison for drugs. Uh, a lot of the men and women in my family, I've seen this up close, right? So I don't understand. I really, I still will never get this, but maybe some, maybe it takes some people a hundred years to figure it out. But uh, I, I personally will you know, encourage you to just sort of think about the relationship that the black community has with drugs, because here's the thing. Right. When you go back 25 years, you know, and you look at the lives of Bobby and Whitney back then, um, none of this happened by accident. You know, like like everybody, a lot of people could could have told them, like, if you keep doing this, if you keep going down this path, there's going to be consequences down the road. Uh, and and the thing that's interesting to me is that when you're in the middle of the party, when everybody's having fun and everybody's pouring the liquor and everybody's getting high and whatever, then the people who come around and say, hey, you know, maybe you want to slow your roll a little bit. Um, they're seen as the square or you're not cool anymore. You know, and that's why I tell you guys, especially young people that are listening. Fuck being cool. Like, stop getting caught up in trying to be trendy and doing what everybody else is doing, because half these people are headed to hell in a handbasket. Half these people's lives are being ruined right before their very eyes. And perhaps you're just intelligent enough to see what it's going to become. So stop trying to fit in and uh, and don't even worry about trying to preach to these people. Just learn, learn from watching, because 
you know, I remember in the 90s, I saw DMX's life and I said, this can't, this is not going to end well. I saw Bobby Brown and Whitney Houston. I said, this is not going to end well. And, uh, and so years later, uh, Whitney dies from drugs. Uh, Bobby Christina, their daughter dies from drugs. Uh, Nick Gordon, her boyfriend dies from drugs. And Bobby Brown Jr., Bobby Brown's son dies from drugs. So I, I hope that we can at least, I hope I can get a yes. And I hope I can say this and be loved and, and not have people get mad. I know people get mad. Oh, oh you hate and da-da-da. That's what they do, right? They, when you, when you talk, when you're speaking on these things, people get mad and, oh, you're a hater or, or whatever. Or there's this weird celebrity worship where people think celebrities are perfect. And I'm going to tell you, I know a lot of celebrities. That's why you don't see me hanging out with a lot of celebrities. I got to vet them first. I don't think that you're necessarily an intelligent or meaningful person just because white people put you on TV. I don't because white people put a lot of dumb Negroes on TV. And these people are not role models. These are not leaders. These are not people that are in any way significant or extraordinary. But you've been trained again because you are a white supremacist, because you're trained to believe everything that man tells you. You think these people are special just because they're on TV. And I'm just here to tell you, as a person who's seen a lot of famous people up close, they ain't that impressive. Most of them. Some of them are. Some of them are extraordinary people. But but you got to pick and choose. You can't just sort of assume that because you're on TV that you're special, significant or different. Do me a favor. Hit the thumbs up button. Hit the share button. Hit the subscribe button. And also, I want to mention to you guys that if you go to the allblackagenda.com, there's some free and low cost resources for your family uh, to pursue your black agenda. So feel free to go there. Uh, we got the $5 a day investing plan where you can build wealth with literally by investing $5 a day. That's free. We've got a link to con uh, Ice Cube's contract with Black America. Ice Cube's one of the good ones. He did a great job with the contract with Black America. So that's why I consistently talk about that. Uh, also, you got stuff, poweronomics related stuff. So uh, take your kids there. Uh, your kids will learn more from that platform than they will from any school they ever go to. All right. So um, here, here's here's the thing about uh, Whitney, a, a, a couple of thoughts about Whitney and Bobby and their interesting life is I, I thought about wealth. You know, I'm a wealth guy and I'm a believer that wealth, black wealth is the one thing that will make the difference for black people. Um, I don't believe white people are going to do it. I don't believe that being a Democrat and voting in every election is going to do it because uh, there's no evidence to support this. Um, I don't believe that uh, working for white people for the rest of your life is going to do it. I don't believe that going, uh, you know, deep in student loan debt, hoping for a good job later is going to do it. What I believe is going to do it is understanding wealth and how to protect wealth. And and so one of the things I thought about is uh, when I saw with Whitney Houston, and Bobby Brown. And again, maybe it's because I think about wealth related topics a lot is I thought about how much money they probably they both made in their careers. I'd be willing to bet you that Bobby and Whitney together have probably made between 50 and 100 million dollars throughout their career. And uh, and and the thing about money that's interesting is that if you're making that kind of money in the 90s, then you, you you're a billionaire by the year 2021. Like they, Bobby and Whitney, had they um, had had certain conditions held, they could be a billionaire family. They'd be right there with Jay Z and Beyonce, or uh, or who else is a billionaire? Kanye's a billionaire now. God bless him. Um, and a lot of people, right? All right. So so here's here's what you got to process, right? What happened? Where did the money go? Right. Uh, that That's a great. You know, I, I you know, one time we were going over our budget and, my, and, and we had it. We thought we had so much money in the budget and then we end up having a lot less. And I remember my brother just he just kind of paused for a minute and they said, so what do you think? He said, where'd all the money go? Right. <laughs> and we had to go back and almost do like a forensic to figure out what happened to the money. So I, I encourage you to let, let's take a minute and do a quick forensic on where the money went when it comes to, you know, the Bobby Whitney empire, the family empire that should be worth a billion dollars. It's probably worth a couple million. Well, um, dope dealers are not cheap. Uh, one thing I don't, I, I, you know, I ain't smoke. I haven't smoked any crack in my life. I, I ain't hit no heroin, nothing like that. But uh, from what I've gathered, uh, dope dealers uh, charge money for drugs. And one other thing about uh, about about wealth and, and protecting wealth is that, and this is why most wealthy families lose all their wealth within one generation, is that there's a type of wealth consciousness that is more likely to lead to prosperity. Consciousness just means that if you're conscious about something, you're going to you're gonna be better at it, right? Like if you're conscious about where your kids are, you're going to be a better parent. If you're not conscious, like if you don't know where the hell you, like where your kids are, oh no, man, right? Then you're not going to, you know, you're not going to be a good parent, right? Or if you're conscious about health, like you're looking at the calories and you're thinking about what you're eating, whatever, you're going to be healthier than somebody who just don't give a shit, right? Well, you know, I, when it comes to wealth consciousness, 
that question becomes when you got this money, where's that money going? And the thing about dope dealers is dope dealers are real strategic. You know, like Ice Cube wrote about the dope man years ago and he said, don't get high on your own supply. And Biggie had the 10 crack commandments. So which which says that drug dealers, unfortunately, many of the best ones, the kingpins, because their life is so crazy and shaky and they could go to jail any moment, they get killed any moment. They have to be very strategic. Some of the, I, some of the dope dealers I've known are the, some of the smartest people I've ever seen. And, um, you know, and, and so so the thing about a smart person or a strategic person dealing with a person who is unconscious is that you have a natural advantage over the unconscious person. Like if I'm a dope dealer, I'm watching you all the time. I'm watching your behavior. I, I know how much money you got. OK, you're a celebrity. You had you made you just you signed a 10 million dollar contract. That means you could buy all the coke that you want. And all you care about is getting the coke. Right. Your, your, your alpha and your omega is the drugs. Right. So what am I going to what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to supply. I'm going I'm going to serve them fiends as much as I can and keep them high and keep them off balance so I can keep sucking out that money. Right. goes back to even Iceberg Slim, Iceberg Slim, the, the famous pimp, which I just weird. It's, I, I honestly don't. I think we got to rethink this whole like glorification of pimp culture. But that's another conversation. But um, in his book, I think he says something like he likes to hear his girls in the back giggling. You know, I think because when they're just sitting back there giggling, they're not really thinking strategically. They're not thinking about the fact that they're being pimped. Right. So a lot of times when you're not conscious, when it comes to wealth and, and, and unfortunately, a person that's on drugs is not conscious of anything except being high, then you're going to have money kind of sucked out of you. People are going to exploit you. They're going to take things from you, whether it's money, sex or whatever they can get from you. Right. So so really, my, my first thought when it comes to their wealth is I wonder what would have happened theoretically if. That that that, you know, 150 million or whatever that, that was spent on drugs all those years had instead been put into investments that had been put into some other more productive place. Right. Because you can also get high on making money. Right. Literally. Theoret- this is not just uh, just a speculation. This is really true. Uh, Professor um, uh, was it uh, Andrew Lowe at MIT actually said that making money has the same effect on your brain as cocaine. Did anybody know that? I don't know if anybody knew that or not. But literally, so when you get high, when you get happy because your Bitcoin went up, or you get happy because the stock market is going up today, like that's a, <laughs> it's because it's because you you hitting that financial pipe, right? The difference is that this is not a pipe that's going to kill you. Now, be careful though about financial addiction because that is very real. You have to be very careful about uh, loving it so much that you get to a money over everything mentality. So you always have to be balanced. But but anyway, the point which I want to make here is if that money had been invested over the last 30 years, I'd be willing to bet you that you'd probably be talking about a billion dollars right there, just right there. Right. And uh, so so a lot of money went to uh, dope dealers. I'm sure a lot of money went to maybe extravagant spending. Right. Which celebrities, a lot of celebrities do that. Um, I bet a lot of money went to lawyers uh, to pay for criminal infractions that occurred as a result of the crazy things that happen when you're not in your right mind or when other people are not in their right mind, right? When people get murdered, there's always lawyers to pay. When somebody goes to jail, there's always lawyers to pay. When somebody gets popped, you know, possessing dope, there's always lawyers to pay. So, so, so the lawyers are making the money. Again, lawyers are very strategic. All my legal friends, all my lawyer friends are really smart people. They're very, they're just super sharp, super aware of everything, right? So they're also very money hungry. They love money. Most of my lawyer friends love money. And so if you are a person who is constantly in situations where you've got problems and you got plenty of money, then your lawyer will always show up. Uh, you're always the first one to get sued when you're a celebrity. Will Smith actually said he keeps 10 lawyers on retainer at all times just because he gets sued so often because lawyers know they they, they look for the money. They find out where the money resides and they sue the person who has the most money. Even if you didn't do nothing, <laughs> they just sue you just in case they can get something out of you. Uh, where else might the money have gone? Uh, well, speaking of this is connected to lawyers. Um relationships, right? When you talk about choosing the right relationship, a lot of y'all you know, were confused when I was suddenly doing all this stuff on relationships. Uh, and that's because I figured out, I realized I said relationships are everything. Uh, and so think about this. What if Bobby and Whitney, for example, and this is not a diss on them at all, but what if they had a perfect marriage or, 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 or did the work early to work through the problems of their marriage and had a stable, you know, committed, loving relationship? Well, then they wouldn't have had to spend all the money that was necessary uh, in terms of, I think they did get divorced. 
that, that costs money. Uh, just all the chaos when you're fighting with your partner, you can't go out and make money uh, because you're too busy fighting with your partner. It's really hard to go and build and destroy at the same time. Fighting is a destructive energy. Building is a productive energy. It's hard to be productive and destructive at the same time. And so bad relationships are extremely expensive. Just on a uh, more um, down to earth level, uh, moving Bobby Whitney out for a second, the average divorcee's wealth level drops by 70%. The lowest net worth of any person in America is the single black mother with kids. Uh, her net worth is about $5. The median net worth of a single black mother with children is $5. Uh, she does better when she has a man next to her who can um, help her go make money. Same thing is true with the men. If the men have a productive woman, you're going to do better instead of, you know, having 18 babies, mamas and a bunch of child support and all that, that, I mean, you're, you're going to be financially obliterated. That like, that's a, like, like having a bunch of kids with a bunch of women, it's literally like, like the financial version of putting a nuclear bomb in your pocket and, and detonating that thing, you're going to just blow up. You, your, your whole financial pot set of possibilities is just going to die. And it comes down to choices, right? Uh, it comes down to laying down with that girl because you trusted a big button to smile, to use the words of Bill Bill DeVoe. It comes down to the fact that you decided that you didn't care about the future, right? You, you're living a YOLO life, right? A lot of this, unfortunately, this type of messaging is pushed in the music. The music is the biggest educator uh, that there is in the black community. And I've heard rappers, I, I analyze their lyrics, and a lot of them will give you the impression that you're supposed to live life solely for today. They give you the impression that all that matters is right now. All that matters is being cool. All that matters is having fun. All that matters is the party right now. Well, let me just say this. That is the exact opposite of the mindset of somebody who builds wealth. A wealth builder is an investor. An investor is simply a farmer, a financial farmer. You are a person who plants a seed and then lets time go by and, and waits for the harvest of that seed. So when they're telling you that you shouldn't plant any seeds, you shouldn't think about the future, you should only think about now, only think about being cool, only think about being trendy, they're literally telling you the exact opposite of what you need to do to build wealth. So when you look at the fact that black wealth is going down to zero by 2053, you must go back and look at the culture that's being fed, that we're consuming. When I saw Bobby Whitney in the 90s, I remember um, I decided that maybe, again, I had an advantage. I was I was teaching college students uh, finance at that time, you know, in my 20s. And so I understood investing. And I remember and I also grew up in a family where just uh, there was a family of, of just personal responsibility. My father would just say, you know, when I asked him, how did you get off heroin? He said, because I chose to stop. Like I, I didn't want to fuck up my life. Right. Like that's how raw my father was. So I was like, oh, OK, so if you don't want to fuck up your life, you make good choices. Right. So in the 90s, you know, I'm studying and going to school and trying to do this other stuff. So I'm the biggest nerd that there is. I'm not cool at all. But. Bobby and Whitney were very cool. They were the thing. It was like, like, like people like me, you know, were in that square box. Whereas there was something that was very exciting about living the fun life and the party. And the thing that I, that thing young people have to understand is that there's always a point where the party comes to an end. There's a point where the lights go out and everybody leaves, and you're stuck there with with whatever demons you created. Uh, through your choices, right? So, uh, so making good choices is extremely important. I, I'd be willing to bet you that you know, despite the fact that I like, so I watched this Red Table talk, and Bobby Brown sounded so intelligent. He sounded so mature. He sounded so wise. And uh, and I really uh, hope that his family is picking up on that. Like he talked about drugs and alcohol. They talked about that very directly, which I was very happy about. And I'm hoping that the message that that everybody walked away with is. You don't need to mess with that stuff, man. Like that stuff will just jack up everything that you love. And um, and uh, and and but at the same time, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, it's really unfortunate that if I had a time machine and I could go back right now to the 1990s and say to them, look, th this is going to this is not going to end good. It's not going to end good for you. It's not going to end good for your kids. Uh, Bobby Christina's dead. Nick Gordon is gone. Uh, Bobby Brown Jr. is gone. I bet you that I would have been told to shut up. Right. And uh, and 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 I think that's if I went back to DMX's life in 1998, 1999, when he's the coolest thing in the world, making millions of dollars. Everybody loves him. I I bet people like me would have been told to shut up. And maybe it's because I wouldn't convey the message in the right way. Maybe there's a way you're supposed to convey it where you are really, really you know, polite and patient and calm and everything else. But I, I don't see it that way. I kind of see it as a state of emergency. I see it as something that is destroying families. I see it as something that's destroying the community. And I think that it's something where um, even though you don't have to tell anybody what to do or how to live, I think you have to look at what's at stake 
right? I bet at least a couple trillion dollars, at least a couple trillion dollars in black wealth has been lost in the last 20 years because of drugs or because of bad relationships or because of crazy choices or because we're following along with whatever, you know, BS that that's being fed to us in the media. I bet you that several trillion dollars in wealth is lost that way because there's no way you couldn't tell me that Bobby and Whitney couldn't have been billionaires and, and living wonderful, healthy lives right now in more of an OG status, you know, the, the, the a power couple status, a Will and Jada kind of scenario. But instead, it's sort of this tragic story, another black tragic story where also the other interesting thing is that you wonder if everyone is really truly taking accountability. Because I, I, when I heard them talk about Bobby Christina and how she died, which was very, very sad, the first thing they did was um, they found a, an excuse, right? And, uh, and, and I'm not saying that it wasn't a good excuse, but the first thing they did was they didn't really say something, say anything about, you know, the, the, the fact that we are empowered to make choices in our own lives uh, because everybody wants to be powerful when things go right, right? When, when everything's going right, you want to be empowered. You want to take full responsibility for every choice that you make, right? That's what they call self-attribution bias. When things go well, you, you, you're you like, I did that. I did that. I did that. But when things go bad, you know, a lot of times we're like, well, it wasn't my fault. It was somebody else's fault. And, uh, and so, so what I heard was um, the conversation about Nick Gordon. And I don't doubt that he was a, he might've been a shitty guy. Uh, it sounds like he supplied drugs to the family potentially. I don't know. That's what Bobby seemed to be implying. And um, and I and I, I and he's certainly the kind of bastard I wouldn't want dating my daughter. But then I think at the same time, if my daughter is dating a bastard who's going to do terrible things to her and mistreat her, there's a point where <clears throat> um, since I can't go kill him, since I can't go and, and just make him uh, disappear, uh, I, I need to talk to you. And you are the empowered, independent woman that you want to be, right? You're telling me, daddy, I can make my own choices, right? So there's a point where I have to say to you, like, okay, do you understand the implications of you choosing to be with this man? Uh, We don't live in a world where uh, there are arranged marriages or where women are forced to be with anybody. And uh, and I really can't help. I'm still this is still a puzzle for me uh, as to why we can't simply sort of have that conversation to say, at what point do you as a woman or as a man, as a grown ass human being, take some responsibility for the choices you make, who you choose to be in a relationship with? But again, Maybe it's out of my pay grade. I'm not a woman, right? As a man, um, I I know I can't. I could never go to my parents and say, "Look at all these terrible things I'm doing, and I'm doing it because I'm with a terrible woman who's who's making me do all these things. She's forcing these things on me." No, I can't say that. They're, they're going to look at me like I'm crazy. But as a woman, you can you can kind of do that. When Oprah Winfrey, uh, y'all y'all might not remember this, but in the mid '90s, Oprah Winfrey had to go on her show and, and uh, talk about some of the, uh, the drug use that she had been involved with. She had a boyfriend that I guess had threatened to um, uh, black who had blackmailed her or something and said, if you don't uh, tell if, if or, or if you don't give me money, I'm going to tell everybody that we used to get together and, and, you know, do stuff, crazy stuff with drugs. And Oprah uh, goes on the show and she admits what she was doing. But then the first thing she says is, is it was because I was with that man, like that man made me do it. And, 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 and I, I have a little, I take a little bit of reservation with that because um, well, I guess maybe as a black man, I'm a little biased because I get kind of old to hear the whole, the black man made me do it kind of narrative or the black man did it sort of narrative. It doesn't, but again, this is not to defend a guy like, um, like Nick Gordon, because he doesn't sound like the kind of guy any of us would really want in our family per se, but I really uh, kind of encourage you to kind of let some of that go um, because at the end of the day, whether it's somebody else's fault or not, uh, the consequences of your choices are going to belong to you. The consequences of your choices are going to belong to you. So if you are in a situation where you are forced, you feel forced to be with a man who is forcing you to take drugs or who is forcing, who is going to kill you, well, why not go get some help and go talk to people and say, I don't want to be in this situation. I want to get out of here. Can you help me get out of this situation? Right. Uh, so so I, 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 w- I will say that um, that that accountability piece is something that um, I encourage you to consider. I, I had to be really delicate in terms of how I say it, because we don't live in a world where people are taught to take accountability for their bad choices. Everybody wants to take accountability for their good choices. Everybody wants to say, look at me. I did it. You know, like black man magic, black girl magic, whatever. Look at me. I'm so great. But then when something goes wrong, in many cases, you'll hear the conversation segue into it's somebody else's fault. 
even when um, I heard Jada Pinkett Smith speaking about whatever happened with, between her and that little boy, August Alcina, you know, literally, I mean, she's dating, she was messing around with this dude who is like her child's friend, which is the craziest thing. Um, it goes into this whole like, well, here's the reason why I did this. It's because I had this happen to me and I went through this and I went through that. And, and so so I say, OK, OK, cool. Well, if you're going to do that when Jada is talking about why she was sleeping with a kid, then you should be able to do the same thing when you find out that your man was sleeping with a hoe. Right. But you can't do that. Right. It's like, oh, he's a bastard. He's a bad person. Whatever. OK, do that. Right. But but seriously, it's, it, this this whole like I don't want to take accountability thing. It's never going to put you in a good good situation. In fact, what I would almost say, this is Uncle Voice advice, is I think that you are more empowered when you try your best to always say, what could I have done different? You know, what could I, you know, like like you guys know, I've been on my, my fun little journey where I started playing video games with my kids. And now I just love it. So now I just play myself because I think it's so much fun. And we play this game called Call of Duty. And Call of Duty is a crazy game, and you play against other people around the world, and they're really good, and it's really embarrassing to get my ass kicked. But every single time I get my ass kicked, there's my Twitch channel, by the way, if you ever want to join us. Um, every time I get my butt kicked, you know what I say? I always stop and I say to my team members, what could we have done different? And sometimes there's nothing you could have done different. Sometimes you just got unlucky. Sometimes they just you know, were better prepared than you. But I, I always, I, as a default response, it is typically like, what could we have done that could have changed the outcome of this situation. And I encourage you to start there, start with accountability, and then reluctantly accept the idea that maybe there was nothing you could do. Don't start at the bottom and work your way up. Start at the top and work your way down. Do you get what I'm saying? Give me a yes in the chat if you follow what I'm saying. I'm saying to you that when it comes to your life, man, like that's your life. Like seriously, like you could be like, yeah, I dated. Like I, I one time I dated this girl that was that in. It don't be a very bad choice. And the reason I dated her, I I knew it wasn't going to be a good choice. But the reason I dated her, it was when I was in my twenties. The reason I dated this woman was because all my friends were like, oh, that's a good one. You got to date her. You got to, you know. And and people in my family were like, oh yeah, you got to pick her. You got to. And I was like, well, dang, I guess I must be wrong. I didn't trust myself. A lot of times when other people are telling you something different from what you're telling yourself to do, you start questioning your own judgment. Like, well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm stupid. I don't want to make a mistake. So so I did it. And you know what? I dated this girl and it was a terrible mistake. It was literally one of the worst experiences of my life. And I wasted all this time with this person who was terrible for me. And I was like, damn it, boys, you knew that this chick was, was going to be a, a, a piece of shit. And like, you knew it wasn't going to work out, but you were letting other people tell you how to live your life. You were letting other people live for you. And so um, I, after that, I said, no, I'm going to start trusting my own instincts. Um, and 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 it's a balancing act, right? I think you got to listen to other people when they're telling you, you know, that, that things can go down a dark path. But at the same time, you, you got to find a way to take accountability. You know, so when I think about that situation, that bad choice I made, um, sure, I can sit here all day and talk about how other people told me to do it. And that's why I did it. But that ain't going to make it better. That's not going to give me give me my two years back that I wasted uh, going down the wrong path. I still live with the consequences of that bad choice. So t- accountability, man, that that is critical. If to anybody that wants to be successful, practice taking accountability, man. Don't get into this. I'm telling you that that backward Negro spiritual mindset that I'm going to pray to Jesus and hope for the best and let go and let God and it ain't my fault. That that, that victimization will never, ever make you feel powerful. It will never, ever make you successful. It doesn't mean that sometimes you don't need help. It doesn't mean that sometimes you aren't a victim of something. It just means that if you start, if victim is your default response to everything, then you go spend your whole life falling behind and losing and then wondering why nothing good is happening for you. Uh, do me a favor, hit the thumbs up button, hit the share button, hit the subscribe button. I'm going to talk, I'm going to mention one more quick point about uh, about Whitney Houston's estate plan. Uh, that that I noticed that I want to share with you guys just so you can kind of apply this to your own family. I'm not really into just talking about the celebrities. I'd rather actually talk about you. Uh, you're more interesting uh, to me in terms of uh, what I want to talk about. Also, if you want to support the platform, uh, the URL is intelligentblackpeople.com. We do have a Patreon there. So feel free to go um, if, if, you, if you want to support. You don't have to, but we'd love it. And, uh, um, and there you go. So there's the URL. Um, so here's what uh, here's the last piece. I noticed I looked up how much money Whitney Houston and Bobby Brown earned throughout their career and um, and uh, how much money Whitney made, how much money Bobby made, stuff like that. And one thing that came up that was really interesting. And I remember seeing the same thing with Michael Jackson, too. Whitney Houston's estate plan. I don't, you may not know this, but 
when Whitney Houston died, a lot of a lot of money had been lost. Like, like ain't no way some, you know, you constantly going to see the dope man. Like, like you ain't thinking about retirement and and stock options and all that. Right. You think about that dope. And uh, and so uh, her estate had been depleted to some extent. Uh, the dope man probably got rich off that. The lawyers got rich. The managers got rich, you know, stuff like that. But but unfortunately, I think Whitney probably lost a lot of money. And here's what's interesting, though. Once Whitney passed and her estate was in the hands of people that were only thinking about building wealth for the family, her estate started making a killing. Like, this, I think the next year after she died, her estate made like $40 million and was able to pay back all of her debts and literally go into uh, the zone of profitability. Now, this is not in any way meant to disparage one of your favorite singers. I'm not doing that at all. Uh, but what I'm saying is that when you when you looked at the estates of Whitney and Michael, if I'm not mistaken, their estates were were, were you know they're, they're, Whitney and Michael as entities did extremely well as opposed to um, Whitney and Michael as human beings. Right, the human being got in the way of 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 the economic potential. Of the entity, uh, Whitney Houston and Michael Jackson were, in my view, they were walking corporations. And when you have a walking corporation, that means you have the capacity to earn money at a corporate level. But unfortunately, you're also a human being that is subject to the you know the the, the struggles and the failings and the mistakes that a human being can make. And and unfortunately, and and, and again, this is not to disparage anybody, but sometimes if the person who is uh, in, in control of that corporate brand is not of the right mind, is not strategically making good decisions, then they can undermine the economic potential of the entity itself, right? You know, like if I'm running, if I decide to run Apple and I don't care anything about money, anything about investing, anything about building wealth, then I'm going to run Apple into the ground because I get to make all the decisions and I get to decide, well, you know what? We're not going to invest a billion dollars buying a tech company. We're going to spend a billion dollars at the strip club. Or we're gonna go drop a couple billion over here on you know on you know on um on some uh, on some more dope or whatever right and so because uh, I remember watching Michael Jackson go shopping anybody remember that show where he was on there with that guy Martin Brashear that terrible journalist who stabbed him in the back um and uh, but when he was on that show I remember watching Michael go shopping do you remember when he went in that store and everything in this store was fifty to a hundred thousand dollars and Michael was literally walking through the store going. I want one of those, two of those. Give me one of those. Give me. I want that and that and that and that and that. And I said, "Oh my God!" This man literally went in the store and dropped a, a cool million dollars just like that. And uh, and he didn't need any of this stuff. Like he already had everything a person could ever want. But he just had this shopping addiction. He would just shop, 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 shop. And so when Michael passed, and 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 he wasn't draining the estate anymore, the estate started to flourish. You know, and so to some extent, I mean, maybe this is a good thing, right? Um, these individuals that were super, super talented, uh, I believe that if it's done right, if they have the right stewards of their estates, they can be a blessing to the next five or six generations because when the person is gone, then you now have the institution itself that's going to be run by financial managers um, who think who people who think like me is going to be run by um, lawyers who uh, who are really thinking about protecting the wealth. Uh, it's going to be run by people who are restricted by law to make healthy decisions for that estate. So, you know, to some extent, uh, you know, the, the, the good thing about Whitney's career is that in death, I think that she's probably doing more for her family than she ever could in life. And uh, and but I encourage you, though, you know, to, to remember, though, that, that in life, you can also do some good things, too. And that's my point. Right. I, I really uh, hope that we we shift the paradigm in terms of how we think about this. I think that that um, the, the celebrity promotion of drugs is, is just it's not acceptable in my book. I'm not a fan of that. I, I get turned off anytime I see anything that's treating drug use like it's not a big deal. Um, I, I, I think that rappers who are allowing themselves to be paid by big white corporations to promote drugs in the black community. Those people are worse than the Ku Klux Klan because the KKK ain't got no power in the black community. If the KKK goes through the hood and says, hey, everybody smoke this dope, ain't nobody going to listen. But if your favorite rapper is feeding you self-destruction to a nice, a nice smooth beat, then we go down that we go down that path like the damn Pied Piper, man. Like, like it just it ruins our kids. And, and, and so for every time you have a kid that could have grown up and become, you know, the next Elon Musk, he could have grown up and become a billionaire. 
somebody grabs him before that point and they say, no, 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 you're supposed to be like this ignorant thug of a rapper and you want to run around here and, and be as ignorant as possible and make a bunch of terrible decisions and all this other stuff. And the other interesting thing too is that, you know, just for the black men that are listening, I think you got to pay attention, right? When Whitney and, and Bobby Christina and and everybody was going through all this stuff, there was a point in the interview where they asked Bobby, like, where were you? I, I think it was when Bobby Christina died, if I'm not mistaken. And this is not me in any way disparaging him or attacking him or anything. But one of the things that he said was, when, when something crazy happened, I don't know if it was when Whitney died or when Bobby Christina died or when Nick died, it was when one of them died. He said something about, like, I was in rehab at the time. And what that really speaks to is that the thing about drugs that you have to watch out for as a black man, remember Malcolm X used to say the white man will sell you the liquor bottle and then lock you up for being drunk. Um, the thing about drugs you got to realize is that as a man, it shrinks you. Um, it turns you into, it turns you from a giant into a midget. Um, you, you know, as, as the man of, as the, as the patriarch, you're kind of supposed to be one of the rocks of that family, of that institution. You're supposed to be the guardian. Uh, if you watch uh, the, the Godfather, the patriarch Godfather, you know, he's this wealthy guy. He's a gangster, whatever, but but he's he's looking out for the family. He's looking out for the community and his daughter's wedding. He's paid for this big, beautiful wedding because that's a sign of manhood. Right. And he's sitting in his office during the wedding, taking meetings from all the people in the community who are saying, Godfather, I have a problem. Can you please help me? Godfather, I, I'm struggling financially. Can you help me? Right. So they kiss the pinky ring. He says, I will help you, my son. Right. Or whatever. Right. Well, you know, like a father is supposed to be like that leader of the household. He's supposed to be that defender, that protector. And so when you say when 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 my daughter died and I don't know if that was exactly what it was, something like that. Or when this terrible thing happened, I was off in rehab. Um, That kind of that's something we should all kind of process. How about that? I'm not going to say anything negative about Bobby Brown because I'm not here to be negative toward people. But I'm here to say that those of you in the room that either are strong men or want to be strong men or love strong men or know what a strong man looks like knows that part of being a man, in my view, and there's I think that there's standards to being a woman as well. Part of being a man means being there for the people uh, that need you when they need you. Right. And and when you are in rehab, what you're kind of saying is I was broken. I was um I was reduced. I wasn't a giant. I was a midget. I was, I wasn't strong. I was weak. Right. And that's what, and that's one of the reasons why I encourage every black man out here to kind of pay attention to what, to, you know, to lick what liquor and drugs do to you is that it doesn't make you alert. It doesn't make you um, strong. It doesn't make you somebody people can depend on. It doesn't make you a rock. It turns you into a big, sloppy vagina, right? It turns you into a, a piece of jello, right? It makes you weak. And, and this is not inconsistent with what you're getting in society. In society, the images that they throw out of the black man are either that of a black man who is hyper aggressive, who is toxic masculinity, or a black man who is a weak little victim. Oh, he got beaten up by the police or killed by the, right? It's always, it's, there's always some narrative that speaks on the black man as something other than what I believe the black man can be. Um, I believe you should be the godfather. You know, not everybody's built that way. Not everybody can do that. Not everybody thinks that way. And it's fine. Not every man. Men have different levels of strength. But when you tell me that, you know, that your daughter was dying and you were off kind of being broken, um, that some would say some would say that you um, did not fulfill your 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 obligation as a man and as a pillar of that community. But then sometimes that comes from the fact that maybe nobody ever taught you that. Right. Like and this is where, ladies, I think you, you should be involved as well is just understand that when your 18 year old son is a big wuss and can't keep commitments and, and is getting girls pregnant and is out here just doing stupid, irresponsible, weak ass shit. It's usually because he doesn't have a man that's getting in his ass every time he doesn't. Uh, he comes up short. Like when, 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 when boys don't have that, like when they don't like the, the, like there's like a, a training that you go through. When you learn and somebody who anybody who's raised by a real father, please confirm this in the chat because because some people don't get it. Um, but there is a training you go through just like women. Uh, if you the better way to understand is look at look at our women, look at how many black women you have 
in the at least in the corporate world that are just killing it, that are on top of things, super responsible, making money, coming through, kicking ass and taking names. How many have many of y'all seen that? It's, it's everywhere, right? Well, where do they learn that from? Where do they learn this? You know, no excuses, go get it, be ambitious, study your butt off, work as hard as you can mindset. They got it from their mama. She get it from a mama, right? They got it from their mother. They watched their mother and how their mother responded to stress and struggle. And they saw her, their mother being this strong black woman. So they're like, okay, this is what a woman's supposed to do. Well, what about your son? If he doesn't have the man around, he's not going to identify with the woman. And sometimes you don't even want that because a lot of these boys identify with the mama. Next thing you know, they're they're on Saturday Night Live wearing a dress and high heels, right? Or they're or because they're, they're, they want to be like their mama, right? Uh, but 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 for boys who don't go that path. They don't have anything to stand on. They don't have anybody to ever explain to them <clears throat> what a male is supposed to do, <clears throat> how a male is supposed to behave. That you know, and so I will just say that <clears throat> from my father, I remember kind of watching him. And believe me, my dad was probably he was full of all kinds of toxic masculinity. He was he was definitely just <clears throat> you know. He was just a man's man kind of guy, you know, like, like, you know, there are probably at least 20 things a day he did that would probably offend the hell out of half of y'all. But one thing I do remember watching and learning from him is that when it was time for him to show up and be there and protect and defend and come through, oh, he came through like Michael Jordan in the clutch every single day. When it, when it came time to put food on the table, he found a way to get it. When it came time to defend somebody in his family, oh, he was always there. Uh, there, there was never a time where you could say I took advantage of the family because the father was slipping and sleeping. That just wasn't something that we ever, ever saw. Right. And and I encourage you, ladies, when you're picking a man, you probably want to pick a man who's been trained by a man to understand these things. Uh, I, I So so that's my two cents. That, that's what I saw. And uh, and again, this is not uh, in any way attacking Bobby Brown or, or Whitney Houston or Jada Pinkett Smith or anybody um, I'm sure somebody will be offended. People always find a reason to be offended by things you say. But again, be, again, because I'm a man, I don't care about that. Uh, but I will say to you, but I want to be sensitive to that and and say with love, like you got to get a new paradigm of family uh, because the paradigm that you have is is all jacked up. And that's why you have a lot of the problems that you have as a community right now is because your family structure has just been severely disrupted and you cannot allow that to continue to happen. All right. So anyway, that's it, guys. I'm going to go hit the thumbs up button, hit the share button, hit the subscribe button, intelligentblackpeople.com. You can go to that URL if you want to support uh, the platform. And uh, also uh, later on today, I'm going to be um, on the Black Financial Channel and talk about what's going on with the stock market and stuff like that. For those of you that are interested in that sort, sort of stuff, if you want to get a free copy of my book, I have a book called It Takes the Village to Raise the Bar. Uh, feel free to go to allblackeconomics.com. You can have the book totally for free. Uh, it's allblackeconomics.com. So uh, thank you for listening. I appreciate the fact that I was able to say the stuff that I say. And, uh, and still be loved um, or, or hated. I don't know. I guess the people that hate me, they eventually leave and that's okay too. Um, but uh, but I, I really feel like it's important that I break things down to you in an honest way because I want you to win. I want you to be successful. I don't want you to feel like a victim. I, I want you to feel like a winner. Okay. All right. So everybody, please take care. Have a good day. Thank you for listening. And uh, I will see you soon. Be good. Peace. Here we are, clan the isms, cataclysm, great. Our people out here struggling, trying to make it in this state. Everybody out here doing it, but we the ones who late. Now family, we the ones who gotta delegate. Get that money in the power, never be fake. Stick to co-sign for three. What did he say? Uh, create jobs, support our own. Educate the singer, buy back your home. Got three degrees, triple ten. Three PhDs, now we on the CNN. DBTV, let's talk about negligence. Ignorance is bliss, but we can turn it to intelligence. Please, none of what you hear, half of what you see. Let's break it down here on Dr. Boyce TV. Here we are.